You know, I'm, I'm always excited to do life principle teaching because I feel like even though this might not be preaching or this might not be shouting, which I couldn't do probably right now anyway, but um, I love how God's Word is so practical. And so if, if we will open our hearts and minds and our ears and our attention, because sometimes our minds are in a lot of different places doing a lot of different things, but if we will zero in mentally, emotionally, spiritually on this content, it will really guide us and help us because chances are every one of us, maybe right now in the past week, in the upcoming weeks, you're dealing or will deal with conflict, okay? I'll ask you, raise your hand if you have family who you regularly talk with or interact with. Anybody have family that you talk to or interact with? How many of you work a job where you interact in some way, shape, or form with another human being? Okay. How many of you occasionally talk to your neighbors? How many of you are married? How many have children? How many of you serve with another person in some form of ministry at this church? How many of you are still breathing and still alive right now? How many of you, for whatever reason, you've chosen not to raise your hand for anything I've said so far? No, I'm just... Well, if you raised your hand, even for one of these things, tonight's lesson is for you. Because at some point or another, you either have gone through it, are dealing with it now, or are about to deal with it. And that's conflict. Conflict. So I want to talk about eight principles of managing conflict. If you were raised in a home where conflict resulted in shouting, belittling, screaming, punching walls, driving off from family angry, lasting tension in the home, physical, emotional, mental, or sexual abuse, or even ignoring one another or pouting, whether you realize it or not, you may be avoiding conflict altogether. Even, chances are, there, there are some of you tonight here, even among each other, that are dealing with conflict, even among your ministries and your thoughts on things. And it's almost like, what, did he just say that? No, this is going to happen in every healthy organization. And if you're not careful, because the way you were raised, even if you're not intentionally making the decision... You're going, I'm just going to pretend it goes away. I'm going to hope it just fixes itself. I'm just going to avoid it altogether because where I was raised, conflict people hit things and shouted and swore and did stuff and peeled out of the driveway and then they didn't talk for a long time. And so for me, I would prefer to do my best to try to avoid that. That's not a knock on your personality. It's just something that I want you to be aware of that if you haven't seen conflict, healthy conflict resolution, you may be avoiding it just because you don't know what else to do. But conflict can bring about beautiful things. That sounds weird. But even in the healthiest of relationships, conflict is normal. I'm super concerned. When I do pre-marriage counseling, and I've, it's happened a couple times, that people come in and go, we never disagree. There's never, oh, there's never any disagreement where everything's wonderful. I just can't, I, I doubt we're ever going to fight. And I just listen and go, 
If two parties come together in any relationship, business, professional, marriage, ministry, friendship, there will be conflict. Because at some point, there will be a difference in opinion. There will be a difference in personality. There will be a difference in ideas. In my own marriage, which I think is in a, a wonderful marriage, there's conflict sometimes. In our church board, a wonderful church board, there's conflict sometimes. And it's not just because Kevin got voted in. In our department head meetings, great group of leaders, there's conflict sometimes. But again, people think conflict is like we, we get in a meeting, we're chucking pillows at each other and stumping water on each other's heads. No. Conflict is inevitable, and we don't have to be afraid of it. I want to be in a healthy relationship where differences can be brought up and discussed in a healthy and respectful manner where we don't have to ignore them or pretend like they don't exist. And if you work, some of you probably work even in the culture of your workplace where that's the case, and you can feel tension, and everybody just sidesteps it and pretends it doesn't exist. Why? Because conflict resolution takes hard work. It takes some difficult things sometimes. And so I want to try to understand where someone's coming from, even if it's different than me. Where we can learn as a, as, a, as a church body, we can't control the whole world, but we can control our lives, our homes, our, our, our circle of influence and this church. We can say, hey, this is the way it's going to be here. It might not be healthy everywhere, but it's going to be healthy here. And I think for the most part, it is. And so I don't necessarily speak this message to try to correct how messed up things are, but more to go, let's protect the healthy culture and make sure it stays healthy. Because I want, to be, I want us to be where we can listen first and then speak. Look at how many times Jesus listened, even when people were attacking him personally. I don't see him interrupt a lot. It's really incredible. God's word tells us he expects several things from us in regard to conflict resolution. Some of these things, four right off the bat, are humility, forgiveness, love, and action. Humility, forgiveness, love, and action. God commands us many times to humble ourselves. He's really loving like that. If we don't do it, he'll help us through that process. Matthew 23, 11 and 12 says, the greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we're supposed to be aligned with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And the fruit of the Spirit is a clear indicator of our level of spiritual maturity. We want the power gifts, the, 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 the gifts of the Spirit, which I think we should. The scripture says that, and I say this all the time. But if we only want power gifts, if we only want the gifts of the Spirit, and we are not concerned about the fruit of the Spirit, one is given by God, but one is developed, and it shows your spiritual character and your maturity. And so I want the fruit of the Spirit. 
And humility is, a, is really a type of a fruit of the Spirit that can, it can be hard to submit to, okay? Conflict resolution will always take some form of humility. If we're never willing to humble ourselves, it will be very difficult to resolve conflict. And you know why a lot of times conflict, I make mistakes in my home. Hey, shocking, right? If you didn't know, yeah, now you know. But we all do. I don't want to pretend like the mistakes don't exist. There are times, and I've said this in the pulpit, that I will go to my kids, and I will go into the room, and I will kneel next to their bed, and I will say, Daddy owes you an apology. I messed up today, and I, and I got frustrated, and I said some things, and, I, and I, even, I even was rude to you. And the way I approached you, I know you didn't mean anything by it. And I, and I, and I snapped and snipped at you, and I, and I just want you, will, you, will you please forgive me? Because for me... It's not just myself. It's, I want my kids to be raised in a culture where there is humility, where there is an understanding, because that, this, is an, this is going to teach them how they can approach Jesus Christ, too. Like, hey, we're going to mess up, but when we do, don't just pretend it doesn't exist and hope it just goes away. Let's go handle the situation. Avoidance of conflict with no effort to resolve it, it postpones a proper response and makes the problem grow. Conflicts that are allowed to fester unaddressed. And this is what's crazy. I, not a betting man, but the statement, the phrase, I bet you. There are people, you're listening online right or, or here tonight, and there is unaddressed conflict in your life right now. That it causes stress, even thinking about how you're going to handle it, and you're just praying. And so what we usually do with conflict is we just pray it goes away. But sometimes, oh, well, yes, I believe in the power of prayer. And we try to make ourselves sound super spiritual, but it's just laziness. I want God to take care of it because I don't, because it's hard work and I don't know where to start and it makes me uncomfortable. But conflict unaddressed will always increase and have negative effects on relationships within the body of Christ or with any relationship to that matter. The, the, the goal of conflict resolution is always unity, especially in the church. Maybe that's why Paul says this to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4 2. He says, Always be humble and gentle. I mean, like, I make jokes, and I know you'd love this because I could just wrap up here. But if I said, church, the greatest message we could take tonight is always be humble and gentle. And we just worked on that for the next several weeks. Just humble and gentle. Humble and gentle. But he says, be patient with one another. Well, that's another one. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. He doesn't say if there's faults in the church. There's always going to be faults in the church. And if we're going to be unified, we have to make allowance for each other's faults. If we wanted to pass the mic and say, all right, we're going to have fun tonight, and we're going to start with Sister Teresa, let's just figure out what her faults are. And then we're going to go across the aisle to Sister, Sister Alice over there. Now let's find out what her faults are, and we're going to keep moving back to Brother Jonathan. And we could come up with lists. Why? Because we all have faults. But we have to make allowance for one another's faults. And it says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Paul really liked life teaching too. 
The devil will use every opportunity to take advantage of unresolved issues. But God called us to more. In verse 31 of Ephesians 4, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as evil types of behavior. Instead, hey, this is the flesh, get rid of that. Instead, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Every time I pray, I'm like, Lord, God, help me to forgive other people. Because you know what? People have hurt me. They've wronged me. They've done it on accident. They've done it on purpose. But there's not a human being on planet Earth who has hurt me or wronged me more than I have done to Jesus. So if I'm asking him to forgive me and make a place in his, in his kingdom for me, then I certainly better forgive every person, whether they tried to, intentionally, unintentionally, no matter how deep the wound is, I, I got to forgive. And failure to obey this command results in division in the body of Christ and grief to the Holy Spirit. And that the Bible calls us specifically to not allow the root of bitterness to spring up among us. Hebrews 12, 14, and 15 says, work at living in peace with everyone. I like the wording there. It doesn't even just say, what's wrong with you? Live in peace. It says, work at. Why? Because is it always easy to live in peace with everyone? It's, it's sometimes difficult to live in peace within your own home. But then you add in work, ministry, family, marriage, friends. Sometimes you're like, uh, why? Because you get a bunch of imperfect people that have strong thoughts and opinions and put them together. And he says, work at peace. Work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out. That, that, that's, that's, that's a call to be attentive. No poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. But then I like the fact that he doesn't just end there. It's not just talking about troubling you. But look at the last two words. Corrupting many. Because how many times does bitterness get into someone's heart? And when bitterness is in someone's heart, prayerfully everyone takes it to the Lord and they work through it and everything works out great. But do you know where a lot of people take bitterness? just telling you this so you can help me pray. I mean, I'm not trying to gossip or anything. But, I mean, I don't even know what I did wrong, but every time I walk by Debbie, like, I mean, I'm not trying to talk bad about her. You know? And so, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm just telling you this. I, I just... And so what happens is bitterness, when it, instead of dealing with the conflict, conflict undealt with turns to bitterness, anger, hatred. And then it takes root. And when it takes root, it's deep in your heart. And usually, if it takes root in the heart, it's just, remember I, I, last week I told you when you're in ministry, when you, when, you, when you work with people, 
what's inside will work its way out. And so even if you don't intentionally make the decision, I'm going to go bad mouth Sister Alice today. I got I to gotta use somebody else that's like a third time for you. I'll pull somebody else in. I got a bad mouth Sister Carol today. I'm going to try to run her name through the bun. I don't think most people intentionally do that. I think most people, it just spills over from what's inside. And what happens is, as we start to share this and what comes, we start to corrupt many. And all it takes is for about, eh, in a church this size, I would say about 14 people to start to impact and change the culture. We have a healthy culture here. But we must always look out, be aware, watch. Why? Because very quickly, an offense can take place. Bitterness, anger can turn to hatred. People start clamoring among one another. It can shift real quick. And so we not only have to guard our own hearts, but when someone comes to me and says, did you hear about Sister Tammy? I can say, well, I don't know what you're going to say, but have you spoken to her? Because she's one of the greatest women of God I know. You know? <laughs> and so, why? If we're not going to correct somebody and say, don't you dare talk to me like, you know, and, and ostracize them, you have to be very wise at steering that conversation back to, hey, but she's a great person. Why? Because I'm not, even, I'm not even saying that what you might say about me or anybody else is not true. But I'm following the scriptural mandate to make allowance for one another's faults. That has to be crucial in our church. And so, when one allows bitterness, it usually grows up and starts to corrupt many. And so a biblical method of conflict resolution is needed. Sometimes conflict has to do with style preferences or personality clashes more than it does even sin per se. In such cases, we would do well to check our own motives and to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain deceit, conceit or deceit. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, don't be selfish. Man, we're covering a lot of incredible life passages don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Man, this is good stuff. If the matter is relatively minor, conflict resolution is going to be so much more successful for us if we're not doing it every three days. We chuckle, but you ever talk to the person like you feel like they always have a problem with you, that it kind of gets hopeless at times. So, no, it may be best to practice forbearance and overlook the events. This is wisdom, Proverbs 19, 11 says, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. It's not saying that what the person did wasn't, it, it's not saying they were right. It's saying, make allowance for people, and when they do wrong, because it's going to happen, because you're going to do it, and so am I, because we're people, 
Instead of saying, hey, I know we just talked about something 48 hours ago, but I got another problem with you. And on Friday, I'm going to have another problem with you. And on Sunday, I'm going to have another problem with you. And this works in marriage, children. Think about it. Sometimes even we think of our kids. Well, we're the ones that rule the house. Our kids should listen to us. But if all our, if all our interaction with our children I'm intentional sometimes about this, like, my kids will get on a bad streak, and I'm like, and then I'll catch myself, I'm like, man, the last, like, four conversations I had with them was correction, 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 and I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want all of my interaction with them to just be conflict and correction. And so it's everything. It's, 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 it's professional, ministerial, your relationship with God, spouse, children, everything. This is, con- this is all wisdom from Scripture. But it cannot be overlooked. If something happens and you're like, man, I've tried to overlook it. I've tried to let it go. I keep working on it. But I just, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm feeling bitterness. I'm feeling the root of bitterness growing my heart. Then you cannot leave it anymore. You can't just ignore it. You can, you can but it's going to lead to terrible things. This is such an important issue to God that peace with him and peace with others are inextricably twined with one another. Do you know he says in Matthew 5, 23, he says, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice. How many times in the scripture do you hear God tell someone to leave their sacrifice at the altar? That's rare. But he says, if that's the case, you leave your sacrifice at the altar and go and be reconciled to that person and then come back and give your sacrifice at the altar. (laughs) Peace with him and peace with others are inextricably intertwined. And so it's very, very difficult. If you're saying, I just, lately I feel like I, I can't, the heavens are brass, I can't touch God, I feel like there's not that open communication May I ask, are you angry at someone? Is there one of your relationships that's a little bit shook up right now? Are you having a hard time looking at someone or thinking about them and going, I hate them. I can't stand them. They frustrate me. They drive me crazy. Well, maybe that is the block that is keeping you from your connection with Jesus Christ. Because he's saying, if this case, we can't just come and go, God, I love you, I love you. And then we look over and go, but man, I can't stand that person. No, we can't. And so I wanted to take these first few minutes and just provide this clear biblical basis for the need for conflict resolution. But I was recently reading a book called Church Work by Pastor Rodney Shaw in Texas, and he offered eight practical principles to managing conflict, and that's where I'm going to wrap up tonight going through these. They're not eight that are each 42 minutes long. Don't worry. They're just kind of eight points. But if you're a note taker, um, I always say, if you're one of the three, get ready. Here it comes. Um, Number one, be honest with yourself. When working through conflict, okay, scripturally, we know we need to do it. 
I hope, I hope you know you need to do it because it's clear in the Bible and it's clear some of the, the fruit of the Spirit and some of the, the difficulty making allowance for one of those faults and, and keeping watch and making guard over our hearts so the root of bitterness doesn't come in. All that's there. But now let's talk about, what about practically? Let's, let's end by saying how do we take what the Bible's telling us to do and challenging us to do and how do we put that into practical everyday life? Number one, be honest with yourself. We tend to assume the best about ourselves. Somebody else does something like, oh, I don't know why they looked at me like that. They, they got a problem? I bet you they're still thinking about that last time that we went to that restaurant three and a half weeks ago. I can't believe that. She's still dwelling on that. And our minds take off. But then somebody says something to us and we go, what? Oh my goodness. No, I would never do that. Like we view ourselves... We give ourselves a lot of grace. In times of conflict, we must honestly evaluate our own contribution to the situation. And that's hard. Because it's a lot easier. You know, what comes easier to me is to just blame you. I mean, that's just simple. You know, if there's, if there's a fight in my house, I'll just say, well, it's my wife's fault. It's the woman that thou gave me. Notice, passing the buck started in the book of Genesis, and it's never changed. And she says, it's the serpent's fault. It's the woman's fault. It's the serpent's fault. Everybody's blaming everybody else because that comes easier. It's much easier to justify, to come up with the reasons why we're right and they're wrong. But is it possible that we are wrong, inaccurate or insensitive? When conflict arises, we'll often fill in the blanks. We'll assign motives to people's actions. You know, like somebody has a bad day and, and we take it like they were rude to us when maybe they were just not feeling well. Maybe they were just going to get their kids. Maybe they were just having a tough day. But we'll assign motives in our head. Assume things were said behind closed doors. You ever talk to somebody? Say, I just know. I just know. I can hear them right now. They're probably just talking and they're saying this, this, and this. What? Where do you get that? Do you like to live in misery? Not Missouri. Misery. Why do we, but you know what? If we're honest, you don't have to raise your hand. You've probably done that at some point. I probably have too. Yeah, I can just hear him right now. I can just, I can just imagine. Why? Don't. Resist doing this. Don't be, don't, that's agonizing. So be honest with yourself, but don't add to the story. Two, handle conflicts at the lowest level possible. Just good, good life practice here. If you work on a team in a ministry or even a corporation, start with the lowest level possible. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, just the, the structure of wherever you are, wherever you serve or work. Don't go straight to the top, so to speak. If the primary leader's intervention is constantly required, the organization is not functioning properly. Could you imagine? <laughs> I would love to see this. Could you imagine? You got yourself tickets to a Chiefs game. 
You didn't invite me. We're going to have conflict anyway, but no. And you go and you get yourself like a $14 thing of nachos. You bite it. My, my cheese is cold. My cheese is cold. I'm, this, this is it. I'm going right up to the box. I need to talk to Clark Hunt. You own the Chiefs, and I want you to know that the nachos are cold, and this is ridiculous. I paid $14 for them. You wouldn't even make it to the door. And if you happen to see him on an escalator, elevator, and have that conversation, he'd probably be gracious and, oh, well, that, that's too bad. Feel free to contact the stadium. We'll get you a refund. But he's going to be like, dude, I don't care about your nachos. But it's not because he doesn't even care, because if he's a good owner, he would know, hey, that's, a, that's an important thing. But I'm not the person to talk to about cold nacho cheese sauce. We have managers at each vending location, and then there's a food service manager that will oversee the whole, uh, the whole stadium, the whole place. And so if that happens, structure is broken down somewhere. Well, at our church, we've worked hard to prepare for growth. If a check-in volunteer is unable to fill in and, and do what they've, they've been called to do uh, downstairs, that person will go ahead and try to find someone to fill their spot. If they cannot find someone, they'll contact the person who is in charge of check-in and say, hey, I tried to find somebody. I can't make it. Maybe that person will fill in. If that's the case, then you might get to the children's ministry director, the department head, and say, hey, we've tried this, this, and this, and she's out sick, and so I just uh, you know, I want to let you know I'm not going to be there. I got the call from so-and-so. But if I'm downstairs and somebody knocks on my door and says, hey, where's the check-in person? I'm going to be like, ask Dawn. <laughs> well, she ain't here. Ask Rich and Jen. I, don't, I didn't schedule check-in. It's not that it's not important to me. It's very important. And if it happens too many times, our next department in meeting, I'm going to say, Rich and Jen, why do we keep having missing department or missing checking people? But that doesn't mean that that's below me. It just means that I've been called to focus on different things, and I completely entrust people who have served in these positions. They, they knock it out of the park. And so when it comes to conflict, there is a, there's a flow in every corporation, in every organization, and this is what, and unfortunately, I've been to a lot of churches between the North Pole and the South Pole, the East Coast and the West Coast, where the pastor does everything. And some of you are like, praise God, my pastor's a hard worker. Look at him, he's doing that. He's mopping the floors. He's parking the cars. He's up there preaching. He even plays the guitar when he's done. When he's done for altar call, he goes to the drums. Great, that pastor probably is an incredibly hard worker, but I'm guessing the church probably is not growing. Because there's, there's structure in, in, in every healthy organization. And guess what? If we move to a larger facility, more people are going to be coming in. And there's going to be newer believers and people walking in here. Those of you that are sitting on these seats are going to be challenged to step up into a new level of leadership. Because there will require more people to do more things to reach more people and make more disciples. 
Next thing is grade conflicts. Rodney Shaw says, don't load for bear if you're hunting squirrels. All conflicts are not the same. Many conflicts will actually resolve themselves. And the avoidant personality says, yes, that's amen. That's what I'm waiting for. But others will require very little intervention. While others will require a mediator. That's why sometimes marriage, I'm, I'm all for marriage counseling. Good, godly, biblically based marriage counseling. I'm, I'm Absolutely, because sometimes issues become big, people get stuck, and you just need somebody to, to kind of help guide through the process. It's better that than the alternative. Conflicts need to be evaluated as to their severity and their extent before they're confronted. My dad always said, you know, that, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, sometimes you got to deal with it, and, and you need to go to people and all that, and, and he's right. But there's also another side. You also, we can't run to someone every single, hey, just FYI, you parked right on the line. I could barely get out of my car. You know what? Just let it go. Just let it go. Sometimes when things get frustrating, it's, it's, it's important. It's, it's, it's a spiritual, emotional, physical, mental maturity when you go, okay, this is really irritating me. But could it be because this person is, is a really bad person trying to ruin my day? Or could it be that I had a really long day, I rushed here from work, I didn't get a chance to eat dinner, I'm not feeling too well, and I have another long day tomorrow, and I'm just, my nerves are feeling a little shot right now. I think it's the latter. And so I'm probably not going to go and address somebody when I'm feeling like this. Again, my dad taught me this. I have never, ever, 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 I believe, okay, some of you will disagree. It's scriptural, but the Bible talks about spare the rod, spoil the child. If my kids will directly defy me, I'm not doing it because they spilled milk, but if a child will, now they're probably, they're a little older, but when they were younger, that if they directly defied me, I would say, do not do that. And if they did it, I'm sorry, I will have to spank you now because this is what, I love you, but this is something that I'm not, I'm not this, we're not going to have this. And I want you to understand that Hey, this is your understanding of me is also your understanding of God. And God is just, and I've said not to do this. You're not going to defy my voice when you purposely, I said, don't touch that, and you touched it anyway. Okay, and so I will lovely tell, lovingly tell them that. But I have never, ever, 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 ever laid a hand on my child when, they're, when I'm angry. Now, I would like us to all think that our kids will never make us that angry. No, that's why, that's why abuse happens. That's why kids come to school and have broken bones and black and blue eyes and bloody lips and stuff. That should never happen. That's a, a parent that has lost control of self. They're, they're, they're lacking self-control. And so my dad, there were times, maybe once or twice, usually it was more Pam than me, but um, just kidding. I think I only remember her getting one spanking in my whole life. It's because it's because she hit me in the head with a hairbrush on accident, <laughs> and it was even an accident. But but it was the big, huge welt that got my parents' heartstrings, and I was just like, "Yeah, finally, first one." 
I had that paddle memorized. It said, never spank a child in the face. Nature provides a better place. I remember. I saw that thing a time or two. She did not. It was two, a boy and a little girl bent over a fence. I memorized that thing. But my dad never, ever, he'd say, go in the room, wait for me. And that was the most agonizing because I would sit in there for 20 minutes before he even came in there. And I was just like, that's worse than the spanking. But now I understand he was gathering himself because he was very angry and frustrated about something that I did. He probably was just misunderstood. But, but even that, I will go, okay, now I'm, 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 I need to keep my, keep my spirit right. Make sure I, I watch what's going on. So I want to tra- treating a minor conflict as a major conflict is unwise. And it also diminishes your effectiveness for the next conflict. It's just like, okay, you, you freaked out on me last week because I parked on the line. What is it this week? You know, it gets to the point where when you really need to talk to someone, they're kind of checked out. And so you don't want to take on, don't die on every hill. And Shaw gives another great piece of advice. Don't spiritualize administrative conflicts. And don't try to administrate spiritual conflicts. If three people schedule a room on the same day at the same time and it created a conflict, it's probably not an attack of the enemy. You ever talk to those people? Be like, oh, yeah, I signed up for the minibus, and so did they. I feel like the devil's trying to tear us apart. No, no, he's probably not. We just had a minibus, and two people wanted to drive it. Just relax. (laughs) This does not happen here, by the way. This is just funny stories, but we want to keep it from happening here. But there are some issues that are spiritual Deep-seated personality issues, issues with roots of bitterness that have taken hold, and administration won't fix this. It needs to be something, it needs to be handled spiritually. Number four, we'll keep rolling. Determine what is truly at stake. The issue is never the issue. Confrontations do not always address the underlying conflict. Sometimes people are distracted by personality, secondary issues, ongoing turf wars, that happens in churches. That's my classroom. It's my study, my area. It's my different understandings of terms or circumstances. I always try to get to the root of the conflict. When someone comes to marriage counseling and they say, and a wife says, I'm so sick of him leaving his socks on the bedroom floor. I am done. I've spoken to him about this so many times. If he loved me, he would have listened to me by now, but he doesn't. He doesn't love me. The socks were on the ground again this morning, and if he would just pick up his socks, this marriage would be better. And I have to listen to all this and then go, all right, so you think you're here for socks? Because you're not. Because you're not. That's the issue that brought you in, and that's the issue you think you're dealing with. But what do you think the real issue is? Let's talk through this. Because it's not the socks. It's the fact that she's feeling unloved. She's feeling unnoticed. She feels like you're into yourself, not even noticing what she's trying to do around the home. And for this conflict to be resolved, it must include two people who are willing to put in hand their hand to work to communicate with one another. And for true communication to take place, it includes both sides doing two key things. Number one, Expressing their feelings with respect. 
And number two, listening to the other person while they do so. But you know what we often do? We just wait for them. Either we interrupt or we've gotten better over marriage and we wait. We wait. Yes, but I just wanted to. And like, we're not listening to anything they're saying. We're just locked and loaded, ready to spew all of the defenses and the reasons why we're right and they're wrong. I know, no, no, you wouldn't even listen to what I said. Yes, I did. I just listened to everything you said. I didn't even interrupt you, but I just wanted to say, and I'm not actually listening to anything. I'm just waiting to talk. Because I walked in knowing I'm right and you're wrong. That's not conflict resolution. Don't make assumptions about what the other person means or is trying to say. Ask questions instead of position statements. Okay? So what I just heard is I I feel like what you're saying is this. Am I correct in that? You'll be amazed how many times that she will say, no, that's not correct. (laughs) Okay. Well, then let's back up. I'm glad we didn't run with that one. And when working through an issue, focus on that issue. Don't go to a secondary issue. You know, I wanted to talk to you about those socks. You know what else you do? That reminds me of another thing. And before you know, you're like, whoa, this started about socks, and now I don't fill up your car with gas. And she doesn't do this, by the way. I'm just throwing this out there. And I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this. And all of a sudden, you're just like, whoa, I feel flooded. We can't even go anywhere anyway, because nothing's ever going to good going to come out of this, because I obviously do everything wrong. And then the sarcasm comes in. Five, involve the other side in the solution. Not only should we avoid imposing solutions, We should also invite others to join in the collaborative process. Marriage, ministry, career, professional, whatever it is. Even with my kids, I'll say, okay. So based on this, what do you guys think we should do in this? There's times where I will actually talk to my kids when they've done something wrong and go, that has to punish you. You guys directly defied exactly what I told you to do. So if you were the parent right now, what, what would you do? What do you think? How would you handle this? sometimes they shock me and their and their punishment is greater than the one i was gonna give them i'm like okay (laughs) not me i'd have been like yeah no green beans for dinner i mean but no (laughs) there have been times i've walked into a board meeting or a department head meeting and i have a great idea i mean it's a great one it's gonna be life-changing But someone in the group respectfully submits some reasons why my idea won't work. That's never fun. Who likes to bring an idea in and have people go, I don't think that idea is going to work. The normal thing, the first thing is, oh, yes, it will. Especially if there's some positional authority there. You could be like, yes, it will. I'm the pastor. No, 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 no. But we don't stop and trash the idea. I don't want to surround myself with people that just go, yes, good idea. That's great. Wonderful. I love that. That's great. 
There ain't no health or growth come out of that. Instead, we collaborate. Okay, well, why don't you like my idea? But this, you, we have to be big people to do this. You can't be insecure. Don't try and protect your turf. Try to work through, try to get better. All right, well, what do you not like about it? Well, I don't like this and this and this. And it's good, too, to at least throw in one thing you do like rather than just be like, the whole idea stinks. I don't even want to be any a part of it. No. Like, all right, well, let's, look, let's talk through this. And so we'll start to try to figure out, well, what could we do to make it work? Or do we need to trash the idea? Let's, let's figure it out. And this is, again, parenting, marriage, professional, ministry. It's all over. In marriage, it might look like, honey, I hate that we keep fighting over this. I love you. I want to come up with a better plan. What are some ways that we can collaborate so that it doesn't keep happening? And I'm willing to make changes myself, too. Just tell me. I, I don't want to see. I don't want, to, I don't want this to keep going on. It makes a world of difference when you say, I loved your idea about X, Y, Z. That was awesome. But I'm afraid this part won't work. Don't just trash the whole thing. Nobody wants to deal with somebody who's always tearing up everything. Six, three more lefts. Allow people to save face. One of the primary rules of negotiation is to allow the other person to save face. Even in conflict where there might be an obvious right and an obvious wrong, the person in the right should allow the person in the wrong a dignified way out. Oh, I've been trying to tell you this for 10 years. Stop. What was the point of that? We just got through conflict, and I'm going to go right back in it because of my lack of humility. Humiliation, belittling, insulting, intimidation, it might come easy to us at times, but it's damaging and costly in the long run. People need to be respected and valued. Don't forget the biblical adage. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. And when I'm wrong, I probably already know I'm wrong. I don't need you to remind me how wrong I was. Number seven, stay in control. A lot of damage can be done when confrontation becomes contentious. I once heard of an object lesson. I should have brought one. Tube of toothpaste. Squeeze the toothpaste. The counselor had them squeeze the toothpaste all over the place. And they said, now... Get all that toothpaste and put it back in the bottle. They're like, you can't do that. That's not possible. And he said, yep, and neither is it possible to spew all that things out and then try to clean it up afterward. Got to stay in control. People are going to annoy the fire out of you at times. Stay in control. That's why I need the fruit of the Spirit. It's got self-control. And last, look to the future. Long-term changes are more important than quick fixes. Solutions should not only look at the past and past actions or words. When I say past, that does not mean, well, 1983, I'll never forget that time that you, did, you skipped in. No, that's, don't do that. But just going, okay, hey, this has happened to us a couple times. I see a pattern here. I don't want this. What can we do? Let's collaborate. Let's figure out a way. I don't. I'm not saying it's your fault, it's my fault. I just, I just don't want it anymore. I want to look to the future. Relationships are more important than any issue that arrives, arises. Sometimes we get caught in the issue. 
But the relationship is the most important. I'll tell people this in counseling all the time. I'll say, you know why right now you guys are furious at each other? I'll tell you why. No, let me tell you why real quick. It's because you guys love each other more than anyone else in this world. That's why you're so frustrated because you're walking into this with expectations that are not being met by each other. So let's talk about what the expectations are rather than the socks. The socks is not the problem. There's something underlying here. Even in your profession, one of the greatest ways you can climb the corporate ladder is this. How well do you manage conflict? Well, I need to have a degree in certifications, and I need to get this many hours in, and I need to... Honestly, most everyone's working with some form of people, and how we manage conflict is going to be one of the greatest telltale signs of whether there's a future in leadership or in a company. So as I close tonight, let's stand to our feet. I just gave a lot of information. And unless you go back and listen, or unless you took notes, you're not going to remember most of it. I know that. But prayerfully, there's something that kind of just lodges in your spirit. Maybe you might say, well, steps one and three and six, not really me, but man, two and four. You know, I'm just hoping that there's something because all of us have room for improvement. I mean, like, none of us are perfect. And if we are, go back to the talking, you know, the scriptures about humble and all that stuff. Because we need to make allowance for one another's faults. We need to be united. Marriage, ministry. Of course, in this context, I'm really focused on the, on the church, but I'm also really focused on the home. That's why I talk so much about parenting and, 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 and marriage because strong churches are built on strong families. If the family's not strong, the church is not strong. And so for me, if we can learn this conflict management and working through these things in healthy ways, then it's going to make us better spouses, parents, kids, professionals, ministers, disciple makers and maybe some of you have been struggling with conflict with someone maybe maybe they're in the, the building tonight you're just like uh, I don't know if maybe your spouse maybe somebody you work with ministry on and you're just like I hope it goes away and we can justify well I've tried I've, yeah, I, I've done it it's on that that it's so easy to justify ourselves. But maybe we could look at ourselves and be like, all right, well, have I handled everything in a healthy way? Like, is this, have I done it all right? Chances are you haven't. Why? Because nobody does it all right all the time. So I think tonight, the first thing we can do is if we're struggling with conflict, whoever it is, wherever it is, I think first we could just come and pray. Find a place. Talk to God. God, I feel like that's breaking the unity. I feel like it's keeping me, like you said, leave the altar and go. And, and oh, I, I feel like there's some room for growth here. And I feel like there's some hindrance in my life. And God, help me. Help my spirit. Prepare my spirit. I'm not going to just find a place and be like, 
I'm here to talk about this person. She drives me nuts. He's such a jerk to me. And no, how about, Lord, I want to look at my spirit. I feel like there's a hindrance here. God, help me to have the fruit of your spirit in my spirit. And that's where a lot of people will just stop. Now we stop. I prayed about it. Listen to your message and prayed about it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. That's such a powerful phrase, but sometimes we just use it as a cop-up. Yes, Lord, take away the conflict. In Jesus' name. I prayed about it, Pastor. In Jesus' name, I prayed about it. That's where we start. But sometimes... God's given you all these principles because he's not going to take your conflict away. Sometimes he's like, no, I gave you all these principles because there's going to be great things that come out of when the conflict is resolved in the relationship that's going to be the, un- the unity in that ministry or in that marriage or in that parents and, and it, it, even in the professional career, there's going to be something incredible and it's going to be long-lasting. As weird as that is, I don't want to go through conflict with my wife. But in all the years we've been married, we've come through several forms of conflict through the years, and we're closer than ever. Because it doesn't matter. No matter what comes our way, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to figure it out. We're going to listen. We're going to love each other because at the end of the day, the issue is not more important than the relationship. And so for you, it's not just I prayed in Jesus' name. That is important. I'm not belittling that fact. But don't stop there. It might be where we go now. I got to go have a conversation. I got to go take these biblical principles, make allowance for one another's faults, stay humble, work toward unity. I got to start all the things that we've been talking about. And then those steps, I, I got to make, I got to put these things into practice. And it's going to take time and effort and energy. And, and it might even be more frustrating before it gets better. But it's worth it. Because I'm not going to let that root of bitterness get in here. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to endeavor for the unity of the spirit. So I invite you to take the first step of finding a place to pray, of coming and bringing this to the Lord and going, God, I want to be better at resolving conflict. I want to be in unity with my kids, with my spouse, with the ministry I'm involved in and serving, with the church that I'm a part of. I want to be in unity. I want to be somebody who is a safe person in the place of employment. I want these things, Lord. God, work in me. Touch my heart. Touch my spirit. But then, Lord, if I need to, help me. Open doors for me. I I might need to go have a conversation. I might need to go address some things that I've been avoiding and hoping they go away. God, I feel like it's hindering my effectiveness as a minister, as a man, a husband, a wife, a a, a child of the king, as someone who talks to you and hears your voice. God, I don't want that hindrance. Help me, Jesus. Jesus.